we was, uh, Jan and I, our, our story is, uh, is, is a combined story. So when I say we, that means uh, she and I, or her and I, or whatever the proper grammar is about that. Uh, we, we've done this thing by God's grace together, which uh, we discover as we counsel with people is, is kind of a miracle. Uh, it's, it is a miracle. And that's what I want to talk about tonight is to just go back and share my story with you. And that way you'll be familiar with me and then maybe we'll have opportunity for me to get familiar with you because this, uh, you know, church is about community. Uh, it's so easy to go through the motions of attendance and, and activities and suddenly realize that you don't really know anyone. So that was kind of what I was led to do as I was thinking about doing this. There were a lot of things that uh, kind of came across my uh, awareness as to what to do, and it kind of settled down, well, this is what I want to do. My, uh, my first pursuit of uh, vocation was a, was a radio disc jockey. Uh, both Jan and I's fathers were cotton farmers back on the high plains of Texas around Lubbock. Her uh, dad's farm and my dad's farm met at the corner. So we've known each other a very long time. Uh, but uh, I never liked the idea of hard work very much, particularly in the hot sun and the blowing sand. I thought there's, there's got to be a better way than this. Uh, you know, just kind of a little side note, we were church-going people. We went to church regularly, but it kind of ended as soon as you walked out the door. There was no awareness or maybe even instruction, or at least I wasn't paying attention to uh, continuing. It was just about that Sunday morning event so that God wouldn't get too mad at you. So uh, as I was out irrigating some cotton as a 17-year-old, thinking about, I wonder what I'll do with the rest of my life, the radio was blaring from my car that was sitting back on the turn row. If you don't know what turn row means, that's where you turn the tractors around in order to go back for the next run through the field. It's called a turn row, appropriately so. That's where my car was. And I'm listening to this guy who's playing country music and having a great time. And the thought occurred to me that they may pay him to do that. <laughs> I think I'd like to do that. And the next thing that happened was, you know that friendly rival that you have in high school? We guys were, uh, I think the summer of between our junior and senior years in high school, uh, were talking about what we wanted to do with the rest of our life. And, uh, and I said, well, I think I'm going to be a disc jockey. And that friendly rival fella said, oh, you'll never be a disc jockey. Well, you know, that settled it, friends. <laughs> I was going to be a disc jockey or die trying. And so that's a whole nother story, but I did finally get to the station that I wanted to get to there in Lubbock, Texas, KLLL Studios, high atop the beautiful Great, Town, Great Plains Life Building in downtown Lubbock, Texas. Um, so I was there for three very happy years, but I worked there three and a half. And the last six months, I started getting assignments and things that I didn't really enjoy, plus a friend of mine, who we had worked together for three years, had gone up to Kansas City and uh, was inviting me to come up there for, for less work and more money. And, and that, you know, that's always kind of attractive. So I, I ended up in Kansas City with him, but unbeknownst to me, before I got there, he'd become a Christian. 
So he began to try to get me to go to his church. Well, I'm dyed in the wool, Southern Baptist. I don't go to just any church. And, you know, we're talking about how I was already a Christian, and it's kind of like that glassy look came over his eyes because we'd been sharing, you know, our, our immoral fantasies and foul stories and all that stuff for three years. So uh, I hadn't been a very good witness up to that point in time. But at that point in time, we began to investigate Christianity. This, if you'd like to put a year on this, this is, this is probably uh, late 1967. And uh, so, you know, just kind of did what we knew to do and started going to church a little more seriously again. Uh, plus, when we moved to Kansas City, we had a three-month-old son that we weren't quite sure what to do with. Uh, we had not had, uh, you know, we lived, we lived in rural areas, so we never babysitted. We didn't have a clue. The nearest grandmother was 700 miles away, so maybe church would help. So we started going and investigating, and there happened to be a couple, two other couples about the same age who were also from Texas. And I made a discovery because we were living in Kansas City, Kansas, and that, that the primary objective of the people in Kansas is to make fun of people who are from Texas. And so we immediately connected together to defend ourselves in that environment from those people who were tended to not think too much as they ought of Texans. Uh, but the investigation continued, and I wanted to get to L.A. At this point in time, when I left my job in Lubbock, uh, that we left our security, we left our family, we, uh, we were on our own. I thought, well, what do I want to do with my life? What? And, and so I thought, well, what is the greatest job in the world that I might like to have? And I was a big fan of Johnny Carson. I thought, The Tonight Show. I want to host The Tonight Show. Now, that, that was the ultimate. I didn't know whether I could do that or not. But I thought if I could, that'd be really cool. But on the pursuit of it, at least I would find out how good I was and where I should fit in life. And, and so that was kind of what I was doing. I need to get to L.A. So after about three months in Kansas City, I began to skin, uh, send applications and uh, my, my uh, tapes, audition tapes to, uh, to L.A. radio stations. And uh, in October of 1968, I was working at KBBQ in beautiful downtown Burbank and thinking that, Hey, this, this prayer stuff must work because we began to pray about it. God was beginning to have influence on our life. But uh, I got to a point in time that, that the vitality kind of went out of my life. And I'm thinking, okay, we were involved in a pretty active church, uh, growing in our faith in the Lord and just saying, well, what do we do now? And November 20th of 1970... I had this revelation that if I went into my employer there in Los Angeles and quit my job as a step of faith, God would rocket me to the heights of stardom. I'd get my movie. I'd get that TV show. I'd become God's agent in the entertainment world. I really believe that. So I quit. After about two months of being out of work, I began to think this may not be working. And two children by that time. Our daughter, our daughter was born in 1970, son in 1966. And, but but the, 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 uh, the interesting part that I have left out that has a lot to do with our walk, 
Uh, when I got to L.A., I went for the same money that I was working for in Kansas City, which wasn't one of the brighter decisions that I had made. So I was working two jobs, but both for the radio station. I had what is now distinct and no more, a first-class radio telephone license, which meant that I could read meters up at the transmitter. Transmitter was on the Glendora Mountains up above the uh, San Fernando Valley. So I was doing the all-night show at KBBQ and uh, would get off at 5, go home and take a nap, and then get up the mountain by 9 so that I could work 9 to 4 reading the meters at the transmitter. So I had two jobs so I could make money. Okay, cool. Well, kind of cool. Plus, I was reading Watchman Knees, The Normal Christian Life. Jan, meanwhile, is down in the valley with our, with our two-year-old son and our, our wiener dog, and, and, and we're, we're thinking, well, the first week of 1969, both Jan and I made an all-in, sold-out commitment to the Lord Jesus, unbeknownst to one another. We found out about it later. And, and that's what has brought about a great unity, both in our walk with the Lord and our relationship with each other. Several things continued to happen. As I was out of work, I knew, well, this is not working. I'm getting a job. So I ended up down in Oceanside, California, uh, as a disc jockey, doing the morning show at a middle-of-the-road music station as opposed to country music. My thought was, okay, I'll get some background in a different sort of music, go back to L.A., and then get the Tonight Show. Good plan, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But, but we, begin to, we begin to share our faith. We begin to be very involved in our church. Uh, had an outreach campaign where we, we went door to door. The church, First Baptist Church in Oceanside had a plan to knock on every door in Oceanside, California, and share the gospel. So we had a little five-question survey. We had our four spiritual law booklets, and we hit, we hit, we hit the city. It, it was really interesting. I was, uh, I was a, a deacon in the church there, and primarily they made me a deacon because I was in radio, and their, their radio system to broadcast their services needed a lot of work. And they thought I could do that. <laughs> but I had no knowledge, but I knew a guy who did, so we got that done. But anyway, so we get this campaign. A guy comes down from Tim LaHaye's church in, in San Diego and sets up this, this outreach movement that we're going on to reach the city of Oceanside with gospel. Well, the first afternoon we went out, Sunday afternoon, big celebration. We've had our training. We're now going to go out ask our survey questions, share the Lord with people. Well, they, Jen and I didn't do this together in this initial thing. So I'm, I'm hooked up with another Marine guy because if you don't know, Oceanside is the southern border of Camp Pendleton. So we had a lot of Marines in our church. So this, this Marine guy and I, we have got on our three-piece suits and ties uh, for the Sunday afternoon celebration. And we look at our assignment and it's the ghetto area of Oceanside. So we go down and, and we step out in this neighborhood where, you know, the brothers are drinking their beer and working their cars and, and generally quite suspicious of these folks in three-piece suits. And why are you here? Needless to say, it wasn't a very good experience. I went back and told Jen, I said, I, you know, I, I know I got to do this thing but I ain't doing this no more as soon as this thing's over. I'm out of here. Well, the next Monday night, we were going out again. Jan and I were combined together, and we went to a little more suitable 
middle-class neighborhood, and also we were, you know, dressed a little more casually, didn't stick out across, so had a great time, uh, led some people to the Lord that night, and, and began to realize this may be a process of life that we want to do. Continued in the campaign, and we're so uh, excited about it that uh, every Tuesday night thereafter, we continued the campaign and the outreach to uh, Oceanside. And the high school. And, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, us and the high school students primarily were carrying on this campaign to, uh, to reach the city of Oceanside. Went well, uh, you know, and, and about that time, the Lord began to stir in my heart the desire to, uh, is there any way you can do this and make a living? Just talk to people about Jesus. And that's when we, <clears throat> I was working at the radio station and a guy from Campus Crusade from Christ came by who was in the military ministry and said, yeah, they, you know, we love to have people on staff with Campus Crusade. So uh, we began to think about that, and, and it was about that time that the, the Lord put this question on my mind. Bill, what do you think is more important? Introducing the latest popular music on the radio or introducing someone to Jesus? I said, well, can you give me a moment to think about that? know. <laughs> So that's, that began to reverse our priorities a bit, or change our priorities, not reverse, just, just begin to change our priorities. And so uh, to make the story a little brief, we, we joined Campus Crusade for Christ in uh, July of 1972, working with high school students. I went up, it was interesting the way this worked. For those of you who are old enough to remember 1972, uh, an event happened in the summer of 1972 called Expo 72. It was the first big Coliseum Christian event in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. There were over 50,000 people that gathered there in the Cotton Bowl and went out and shared their faith under the auspices of Campus Crusade for Christ. So I'm going into Campus Crusade Media because that's my background. I've been 12 years in radio, so I know about that kind of stuff. Thank you. And uh, so, uh, but all they were talking about were the things that happened at Expo 72. So I'm thinking, well, what does a media guy do if you come on staff at the Campus Crusade? Talk to the gentleman, and he said, well, basically you would be uh, duplicating cassettes and, and mailing them out to the people who would like to hear about those things. I really don't have a position for someone with your experience. Well, the Campus Crusade's headquarters then were in San Bernardino, California, and they had brought up a group of high school students to share what God had been doing in their lives through the ministry of Campus Crusade and the high school leaders that were on their campus. And it, I mean, it was just mind-blowing. These kids were excited off the chart. It was, so, so we thought, well, okay. Uh, we had worked with high school students, some up in L.A., and so we put in our application to become a part of the high school ministry with Campus Crusade, and that worked. So we went on staff with Campus Crusade. They sent us first to Spokane, Washington. We didn't even know where Spokane, Washington was. But we went there, stayed there in training for two years. Three years, I was the director of the high school work in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, Texans shouldn't be assigned to Arkansas, but that's where we were. Uh, and, and, and in 1977, we escaped from Little Rock. <laughs> And, and came to Arizona and spent four years with Campus Crusade working at Greenway High School. And the interesting thing, uh, the Lord did some fantastic things while we were there. And there are probably at least a dozen that were then students 
that are now in full-time ministry. One of the students who was in our ministry at Campus Crusade for Christ in Greenwood High School was Todd Crombine. Uh, another one uh, was Skip Ast, who is the pastor of West Valley Baptist Church. I mean, West Valley Bible Church. So, so the impact of what God did during that time uh, continues to bear fruit that we got to be a part of. But I, I want to digress a bit to make it practically applicable to our lives. It's like, as we look over our journey, I'm thinking, okay, what is the Christian life really about? Is it just Christian function, or is there more to it than that? Because in most situations, we're taught Christian function, how to do Christian things, and, and we had, had missed somehow or another the reality of who we are in Christ. Now, I love the song, Trust and Obey, but, but it's not really about trust and obey. It's about empowered obedience. You see, we can attempt to do Christian activities, but if we're not doing that in the power of the Holy Spirit, if we don't have empowered obedience, then we're making an effort of self rather than an effort of spirit. And that's crucial to learn because that's what makes it powerful is the Spirit of God. So as, as we begin to grow in our walk, and, and there's also the, the aspect of, of disciplined time in the Word. You've got to have a dynamic devotional experience. You know, what you label it, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter, but the fact that you have it does. And uh, that was the other thing that, that kind of happened at Oceanside. There was a uh, uh, president of, Con of Western Conservative Baptist Seminary, a gentleman named uh, Earl Rodmacher, came through a revelation to me. He said that the Christian life, the Christian is to live his life as a part of a community, not as a part of just self-exaltation. Well, that's new. I thought this was all about me. Because that was the way I was taught. I mean, most of you probably are not that familiar with being a radio disc jockey. But if you listen to them, you'll discover that they love themselves. You know, if you don't think highly of yourself, probably nobody else will. So it, it really becomes a self-exaltation sort of situation, and as it should be, because, you know, if, if you don't promote yourself, then probably nobody else. I say, my, it was, my attitude was, I'm going in to have a personal party, and if I have the kind of party that folks like, they'll join me in this party. And it, it worked pretty good, and it essentially still does. <laughs> But, so as, as we're moving through, and I thought, oh, that, that the Christian is for the involvement in the body, not for self. And then he did point out the, the desperate need for a daily time in the Word. And that was probably 1971. And by God's grace, and, and through that calling and that insistence, uh, Jan and I have had regular, if not daily, times with the Lord in these 40-plus years. And that's, again, not to exalt ourselves. It's just that appetite 
that the Lord gives and inspires because he wants you to become his ambassador in a world that's desperate for Christian ambassadors. And so, so you, you go to the Word. And there's, the, way that I, the way I figured out how you deal with that, I say, well, I'm, I'm not really getting much out of it. Well, you may not be supposed to get much out of it. See, the, the, the blessor, God is the blessor. The blessor's responsibility is to bless as he so decides. The blessee, that's us, the blessee's responsibility is show up. Just be there. So uh, if you're not having a regular time with the Lord, your Christian life is not working as well as it could or should, and you need to take some corrective action. That's just the bare bones truth of, of walking with the Lord. So when that began to happen, because you know, you're familiar probably all of us with the, the uh, old time phrase of garbage in, garbage out. If you'd, if you'd like to, to run a, a, a sort of an evaluation, uh, it's interesting, I, I did this one time, and, and it's, uh, it's an interesting study. Get yourself one of those little spiral flip over notebooks, and for 24 hours, Every 15 minutes, log what you just did for that past 15 minutes. I guess you could do it on your cell phone now, but you know, I'm, I'm, not, that, I'm not that digitally astute yet. Uh, uh, I, I still prefer paper and pencil. But uh, anyway, so, but, but I, I guarantee you, you'll be surprised at your time use because you haven't taken, most of us haven't taken a serious every 15 minute look at how our days go. You can also do it financially and find out how you spend your money. Yeah, it's a bit encumbering and somewhat time consuming, but it's very enlightening. And, and then when you put that before the Lord, he begins to make the needed adjustments and you'll begin to find particularly where a lot of your anxiety might be coming from. See, uh, Paul really meant it when he wrote, don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God. See, if you don't have peace, it's because you're not giving thanks. It's pretty simple. Yeah, I have a favorite verse that uh, I'll get back to my, you know, the, the chronology of my story in a moment. Uh, I know you're extremely eager to hear it. <clears throat> but my favorite verse is Romans 121. Very strange favorite verse. It says, when they knew God, they honored him not as God, and neither were they thankful. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts grew dark. That's so instructive. So I, I, I have what I call Bill's reversed version of Romans 121. And it goes like this. When they knew God, they honored him as God and gave thanks. They became wise in their considerations and were led into the light. Now, that's not a verse, but it's easily documented as truth. So that, that if, if your life's not going like you'd like for it to, the first place to check is your thanksgiving quotient. If you're grumbling and complaining and, and, and joining in the pity parties and, and the, the uh, you know, contentions with the world and stuff. See, God runs the universe. 
When, when you start complaining, basically you're accusing God of mismanagement. That doesn't work well in the Christian life. So, so that you have, you have to back off and confess that sin so you can begin to get in, in agreement with God and give thanks. And when you begin to give thanks to him for the good way that he's running things and going to bring it to an appropriate conclusion and, and even what he's doing in your own life with all that's coming into it, thank you, Jesus, I know you're going to work this for good, then he begins to open the pathway of escape that you so desperately desire. But until he will get the glory and your boast becomes in him, the doors are probably going to stay shut. And you open those doors through thanksgiving. So check your thanksgiving quotient and see how you're doing and then determine that you will ramp it up and, and just start giving thanks. And the other thing that is, is a deterrent to your growth, I discovered, is unforgiveness. You know, that, that if, if, and if I drove my family crazy for a few weeks because I was asking forgiveness for everything. Uh, you know, because I wanted to build that habit so that, that as you move through life, you need to be able to discover measurable growth opportunities in your Christian experience. So that as, as we were moving through, uh, again, with Campus Crusade, we, we learned tons of things because the beauty of being in a Christian organization, or at least that Christian organization, and I assume lots of them is, that they provided for us tons of information about what the Christian life was about. But we got the lecture, and then we went immediately to the lab. We were, had the opportunity to apply what we had just learned and make it our personal reality. You see, that's really a possibility of breakdown in your Christian life. If, if you're not satisfied with your Christian life, you need to stop and think about that. See, Jesus said, in such a time as ye think not... So if you're not thinking, you're not moving. And, and so that, that's part of the relationship, part of the devotional aspect that you have with the Lord Jesus, that, that, that as you're reading his word, you've, you've got pen and pencil or, or you know, uh, some sort of scribe there on your phone. That, you, know, you can talk to Siri about it and, and get, get a list of those things that, that's touching your heart as you move through your devotional time and, and just take the words, get the definitions of the word, ask what they mean to you, how can they impact your life? If, if you want a life change, Jesus is who you go to to find it. You're not going to be able to figure it out with your own information. I, I don't know who was the originator of it, but it seems to be a very true statement is that if you keep doing the same thing, and expect a different results, that's insanity. But a lot of times we redouble our efforts in what already hasn't worked. I'll just try harder. Well, that's insanity. You've, you've got to either move to someone that you respect and admire, a disciple or a mentor, and get their information or you need to go to a place where the, and you know, with the internet, it's available. A lot of it's not as good as it could be, but there's also lots of good Christian information that, that you can click into to add to your growth. So 
Uh, we came to the desert in 1977, working with high school students and, and doing quite well. Uh, like I said, there's, there's still fruit remaining from that period of time. But an interesting thing happened in uh, December, I guess it was, of 1980. My director here in town came to me and said, uh, Bill, we're bringing an, a newer, younger director into the work here. And I hope that you can stay with Campus Crusade for Christ, but you've gotten a little complacent and you're sort of arrogant. I hope you can stay with Campus Crusade for Christ, but you cannot stay in the high school ministry here in Phoenix. Oh, well, I happened to be aware that at that time, there was a new radio station being built. And I made connection with the guy that was building it. And I thought, okay, we'll just go back into entertainment. I, 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 I can make tons of money as a radio guy. I'm sure of it. So, it was a long process, but eventually the week of Thanksgiving of 1981, this station opened uh, up in Black Canyon City. It was an AM station because FM was just about to begin to blossom. Uh, it was an AM station and in Black Canyon City. And I went up the first day I have never sensed I was in a place that God didn't want me, as I did that day. The station had studios down in Metro Center. So I got off the air, drove down, and gave my two-week notice the first day I was on the air. Didn't have a clue what God was up to, but I knew what he wasn't up to. And that led to us going with an organization that was then called Noyes Laban, uh, now called Victorious Christian Living, and that's where we begin to understand the truths of who we are in Christ. It, it ceased to be about function and started to become about character. That, you know, Galatians 2.20 says I, says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Men and women, that's huge. Th that's the Christian truth. This is not about you living a religious life or a good moral life. This is about the internal empowerment of the very Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Uh, I was challenged to read a couple of books. One was by David Needham called Birthright, and the other one was by Dr. Charles Solomon called Handbook to Happiness, which I read both of those, huge enlightenment. Because the, the Christian life is not about me trying to please Jesus. The Christian life became about Jesus living his life through me. You see, every command of the scriptures becomes a possibility in the power of the Lord. It would be extremely unjust of the Lord to ask us to do something and not give us the power to do it. So it's either in your spiritual understanding or it's in your growth progress that you grow into a high percentage of obedience in your Christian walk.
And this discovery was huge to me. It's like, wow, all these things that I've been trying so hard to do and never could quite get done or had no sense of, of a achievement in doing it even when I got kind of close to, to keeping those rules. Extremely frustrating. And I realized I was, I was trying to live Christ's life in my own power. Such an effort in fruitility. When you, have, when, you, when you come to the understanding of what I term empowered obedience, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the interesting thing I've discovered as we have promoted, taught, inspired people to try to investigate that, it has to be individual. It has to blossom out of your relationship with the Lord. My plan won't fit you. Now, I'm, I'm sharing with you in the hope of, of inspiration, but not necessarily instruction, to let you know what is available in the Christian life when Christ's empower it. The way it has worked with me has been in increments. God doesn't give me some holy zap that fixes everything. It's, it's incremental. Uh, it's like, you know, I, I can remember when in our home, this phrase was used with a measure of frequency. Oh, don't do that, or Dad will get mad. So that, so that the family was, was run on the, we got to keep, we don't want Dad to get angry because you know how he is when he's angry. And, and nobody wants to see that, and it's not pretty. Well, there's an interesting verse in James 1.20. It says, the anger of man cannot achieve the righteousness of God. The, the attractive thing about anger is it gets results. But the unattractive thing about man's anger, it will never get God's results. And see, if, if you take in any media, the, you know, the shows or, or that sort of thing, uh, just begin to notice how much they use anger and force as the measure for success and victory. And I can't help but think that has some sort of subconscious effect on our minds. So that, that I begin to say, okay, Lord, how, how does this work? I, I've used anger so often and so well, I, I don't know that I can not be angry. Now, now the, you'll, you'll continue to feel angry on a regular basis, but I discovered you do not have to act in anger when you have the presence of the Spirit of God. You can say, I feel angry, but I choose. And I would encourage you to remember, uh, to memorize Galatians 5, 22 and 23, if you haven't, that's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the description of the Christian's character, whether they know it or not, whether they act like it or not. If Jesus is in you, then the fruit of your life that really matters is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and that's something that you can utilize with every issue. But you have to begin to, to force your mind into a belief system that the Holy Spirit will be empowering you in that effort. And you have to think about it. You have to even put a picture in your mind. Uh, I've discovered that if I don't put new pictures of righteousness, of me functioning and righteousness in my mind, I will still fall back to the old fleshly pictures that are 
that are uh, you know, garnishing the, the gallery of my mind. So you have to see yourself as Christ-like, because you are. That's what Jesus did. He made a way to put his life in our life so that the life we now live, we live by the power of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So, so that becomes the process. Now, the other thing that, that was so extremely impactive in our life, 1973, the summer, every summer Campus Crusade had uh, regular training. And one of the trainings we went to was Christian marriage. And I discovered that I had a wife and children because I needed them. And I was supposed to take care of them. They weren't just the audience that were to give me the applause as I processed life. That was revolutionary to me. Wow. And, and then to understand that, that Jan and I are partners in this event. But we had to learn an atmosphere of communication so that we could deal with those heated issues. If you're a married person and you've said something like, till death do us part, hopefully you meant it, and that means till death do you part. So the relationship is never on the table as Christians. Issues come in, but it's not about the relationship. It's always going to be about Christ-likeness and the development of it so that we have to allow each other to speak into one another's lives. Jan and I know very well if we use this phrase, it's time to get ready for a strong punch in the solar plexus. Can I tell you something? You know, and so you kind of say, <clears throat> okay, I'm ready. And then she or I make the point of something that we discovered that could be fleshly in our walk. And we receive it. We've learned to receive it because as, as husband and wife in a Christian marriage, we've got each other's best in mind 100% of the time. We are not trying to destroy each other. We're trying to build one another up in Christ's likeness. And men and women, we need all the help we can get, and particularly from those who know us best. Uh, not easy but extremely beneficial. And you do have to design some sort of atmosphere in order to be able to have that kind of communication. It, it, it's cumbersome and it's hard work and it's hurtful and you want to get up and slam the door and walk out and just ignore that issue. Can't do it. God has brought it to the table. He's got a solution. He wants you to have it. It's probably going to come through your mate. Or... Jan and I will put issues on the table, and, and God may intervene and, and do something totally different. Maybe her way, maybe my way, maybe his way, but he's got a way. Because why? He said he was the way. He's the way. Oh, the way. So as, as you move through those things, it, it encompasses the whole of your life. Because I, you know, I can do things that I really think I deserve some rather hearty attaboys. That was really good. But that's, that's just a part of what goes on. Life still continues. You know, I think a lot about entertainers because uh, I'm kind of one, but I never got to the, the fame and fortune aspect of it. But I see the futility of it and the it's over of it. You know, when you're in the middle of a performance and you know, the audience is going nuts and the fireworks are going off, I mean, there's no better moment than that. 
But then it's over. And there's still 23 hours left in the day. Uh, oh, it must not be so much about life as I was deceived into thinking it was. Now, we all have gifts. We all have talents. We all have abilities that we need to apply under the power of the Holy Spirit and in the power of Jesus in our lives. And we will get good at what we practice. So those things that you're good at, I think God intends for you to do, be as good as you can. At them. So, so pursue them with all the, all the gusto and study and effort that it takes. Uh, because I was, uh, my, my sports fan identity continues to diminish, which I think I'm kind of glad about. Uh, because I used to be, there's a story about my, my rabid cowboy, Dallas Cowboy fan ship that drove my family crazy. And, and I thought it was good, but it was insane. Uh, but like I say, we don't have time for that tonight. But, but there, there's that process of just recognizing appetites will grow and diminish. God gives appetites because he wants to empower you for his glory to accomplish those things. So that as you look at, you know, I, I don't know a lot about Michael Jordan, but from what I understand, he had a, a lot of gifted abilities as a basketball player. But he also practiced harder than anybody else on the team. That's, that's kind of an example of what it's about, is that, that when you recognize what God has given you giftings in or abilities in, then you practice with all your heart, glory to the Lord, and, and you will do well. And you're, you make your boast in the Lord of those things that he empowers you to do. So just kind of wrap things up. Uh, you know, we, we, the, ne the next thing that happened was a phrase uh, from, I guess I would have to say, my, my favorite author because I read him a lot, and I know that he's contentious in some areas, but a gentleman named John Piper wrote a book back in 1986 called Desiring God. The subtitle was Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. His premise was that God is most satisfied in you when you are most satisfied in him. See, we are pleasure seekers. God made us that way. But we have to seek our greatest pleasure in him. And the adversary comes at us with literally thousands of distractions to keep us from the discovery that Jesus can be our most satisfying reality. Now, as I have, it's been, that was 1986, and I have been pursuing that course since then. And what I discovered is that, that when that satisfaction in Jesus' quotient is, is met, then you cease to be a victim to all the other things that you might be looking. I still enjoy stuff, but I'm not looking to things to get satisfaction. I've got that in Jesus. But it, it was hard to get to the point of confidence for me, it, it took a, a mental and spiritual indoctrinization with the idea that, because I, I knew how a meal satisfied me. I knew how a, a performance satisfied, or at least the feeling of that and calling it satisfaction. But I discovered that, that the satisfaction in Jesus, as you just continue to confront your awareness with the fact that he is and can be your most satisfying reality, then what begins to happen is he begins to adjust all those other things in your life 
to an appropriate level so that they're managed in the way that God designed and you get that sense of, of enjoyment and conformity to Christ as you would like. The thing that happened in my life that was very transitional was, was Matthew, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, where uh, the young man asked Jesus, what's, what's, the most, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I thought, okay, uh, what, is, what does that look like? How, how do I know? And so what I did was I took a known love, at that time it happened to be the Dallas Cowboys, and applied it to a desired love. I looked at what I was doing at that time. I would, I would replay Sunday game, Sunday's game until about Wednesday. Then I would pre-play the upcoming Sunday's game until I saw it. I had a Dallas Cowboy Weekly coming to my mailbox every week, which I consumed uh, ferociously and eagerly. And, and so I re- if I did that same thing with God, I'd probably get the same results. And I did. So that, and, and what, what, does, what does that look like? Well, see, Romans 8.28, I, I challenge people, never do Romans 8.28 without 29. Most people are familiar with Romans 8.28, says, for we know that God can cause all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. A couple of conditions in there, love God according to his per- calling, called and love God. Uh, okay, but what are the results of it? That's where 29 comes in. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, the purpose of the Christian life is all about character. It's not about function. Because what does it look like when you're conformed to the image of Christ? I'll tell you what it looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and that's our pursuit in life, men and women. To be conformed to the image of Christ. You might, you might want to bring in... 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, isn't jealous, love doesn't brag, isn't arrogant, doesn't act unbecomingly, doesn't seek its own, isn't provoked, doesn't take into account a wrong suffered, doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I don't want to impress you with the fact that I memorize those things. Those are my gauges. That's how I can instantly check into how I am doing in my Christian life. And it's fantastic. This will sound like a boast, but it's a boast in the Lord. I'm 75 years old, and I've become a man. By God's grace, I really like being. Because Christ is at the center. And everything that comes into my mind, I have, you know, God has developed the skill of taking every thought captive to the mind of Christ. It's magnificent. Not, not easy sometimes. I don't do it well sometimes. But it's always available. And it's always attractive. And it always satisfies. Jesus is what we're looking for. Father, thank you for this opportunity to do this. 
uh, I praise you because I really didn't know how it would go. Uh, but I knew that you wanted to do it this way. So I thank you for that. Pray that people will understand this, this is not a Bill Strickland story. This is a story of a God who worked in Bill Strickland's life and brought him to a place he could never imagine would be this delightful and this powerful and effective for the kingdom of God. So use it, Lord. I pray that you will uh, bring to each person's mind those things that will challenge him to that greater conformity to the image of Christ. For you are our Lord and Master, and you do all things well. In Jesus' name.